0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. These are the lessons of Hanukkah. When the night seems impenetrable, that is the time to strike a match. When we feel the poorest, that is the time to make a gift. It's up to us to do our part for the miracle. There are many ways to tell the story of this holiday. One is a story of oppression and war and victory, as told in the books of the Maccabees. That's the one I know. But did you know that that story isn't even in the Hebrew Bible? Judaism had been systematically and brutally crushed by the iron fist of Rome. The rabbis were writing in a period of similar revolts against Rome, but they were not happy with the Maccabean approach. The Maccabees, who in seeking to win political independence for their people, sought to toughen the Jewish people and turn Judea into a rocky fortress. Instead, the rabbis believed that spiritual power would prevail. The power not of rock, but of water. Fluid and soft from moment to moment, and yet irresistible over the long run. Spiritual power, they said, was the only thing that had ever brought them to true victory and the only thing that ever would. And so the story in the Jewish scriptures focuses on just one thing, that small cruet of sanctified oil. The rabbis gave us a holy metaphor. That tiny bit of oil symbolized the last irreducible minimum of spiritual light, still there even in the worst moments of apathy and idolatry and war. Just like that, the rabbis diverted attention from the National Liberation Movement and refocused attention toward a miracle toward the spiritual meaning of the light that burned for eight days and was not consumed. Even the tiniest amount of light, they said, can be magnified into an infinite supply of spiritual riches. It's right there in the Talmud, enshrined in the Jewish tradition, a story of faith, in the face of fear. Rabbi Arthur Waskow suggests that the conflict is never really between Maccabee and rabbi, between political and spiritual. The real conflict is between surrendering to the darkness and choosing to act to light a new way. We need both action, and contemplation. He writes, by the 25th of every lunar month, the moon has gone into exile. The nights are dark and getting darker. This month, we're close to that moment of the winter solstice, when the sun is also in exile. The day is at its shortest, the night at its longest. This is the darkest moment of the year, The moment when it's easiest to believe that the light will never return. The moment it is easiest to feel despair. In the words of American poet William Safford, the darkness around us is deep. Maybe the darkness within us is deep. At the very moment we find ourselves driven to the precipice, in grave danger of tipping over into despair, this is the commandment. The Hanukkah story tells us to light the candles. The holy lamp, it turns out, is a metaphor. The Hanukkah miracle is not about military might, not even about oil, but about faith. The story instructs us to keep the faith, even when our reserves are perilously low and we're not at all sure we have enough fuel to keep faith burning. Born in 1772, Reb Nachman of Bratislav, a Ukrainian, was the founder of one of the branches of the Hasidic movement. He suffered from crippling depression. What scholars have suggested was untreated bipolar disorder. By 38, he was dead of tuberculosis, and yet, Reb Nachman railed against despair, saying we must not give in to it because to do so would mean we have given up on ourselves, on one another, and on God. In the spirit of tikkun olam, the spirit of repairing our broken rule, our broken world, he rallied his followers to service and to work for justice and peace. It's up to us, he said, to build the world we dream and not give up. It's up to us to do our part for the miracle. I want to retell my favorite. Hanukkah story, as I often do in this season. It was given to me by Wendy Koppelman, the daughter of two Holocaust survivors. May their memory be for a blessing. Lithuanian-American historian Jaffa Eliak founded the Center for Holocaust Studies, which collected over 2,700 audio interviews of Holocaust survivors in her book, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust, She tells this story. When Hanukkah came to Bergen-Belsen, a wooden clog, the shoe of one of the inmates, became a Hanukkiah. Strings pulled from a concentration camp uniform, a wick, and the black camp shoe polish, pure oil the living skeletons assembled to participate in the kindling of the Hanukkah lights. Rabbi Israel Spira, the rabbi of Blitzov, lit, lit the first candle and chanted the first two blessings in his pleasant voice. The festive melody was filled with sorrow and pain. When he was about to recite the third blessing, he stopped, turned his head, and looked around as if he were searching for something. But immediately, he turned his face back to the quivering small light. And in a strong, reassuring, comforting voice, chanted the third blessing, Blessed art thou, our God of the universe, King, who has kept us alive and has preserved us and enabled us to reach this season. Among the people present at the kindling of the lights was a Mr. Zamiaczkowski, a political leader from Poland. He was a clever, sincere person with a passion for discussing religion and faith and truth. And as soon as the rabbi of Plutov had finished the ceremony of kindling the lights, Sam elbowed his way to the rabbi and said, Spira, you are a wise and honest person. I can understand your need to light Hanukkah candles in these wretched times. I can even understand the historical note of the second blessing who wrought us miracles for our fathers in days of old at this season. But the fact that you recited the third blessing is beyond me. How can you thank God and say, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive and has preserved us and enabled us to reach this season? How could you say it when thousands of living Jewish skeletons are standing in the shadows of the Hanukkah light and millions more are being massacred? For this you are thankful to God? For this you praise the Lord? This you call keeping us alive? Zamiya you are 100% right, answered the rabbi. When I reached the third blessing, I also hesitated and asked myself, what should I do with this blessing? I turned my head in order to ask the rabbi of Zainer and other distinguished rabbis who were standing near me, if indeed I should recite the blessing. But just as I was turning my head, I noticed that behind me a throng was standing, a large crowd of living Jews, their faces expressing faith and devotion as they were listening to the rite of the kindling of the Hanukkah light. I said to myself, if God, blessed be he, has such a nation that at times like these, when during the lighting of the Hanukkah nights, death is looking from every corner, if despite all that they stand in throngs and with devotion, listening to the Hanukkah blessing who wrought us miracles in days of old at this season, If indeed I was blessed to see such a people with so much faith and fervor, then I am under a special obligation to recite the third blessing. Some years after liberation, the rabbi of Blitzov, now residing in Brooklyn, New York, received regards from Mr. Zamiach Sam said that the answer he gave him that dark Hanukkah night in Bergen-Belsen had stayed with him ever since and was a constant source of inspiration during hard and troubled times. There wasn't enough sanctified oil to burn for the prescribed time, but somehow Someone chose to light the lamp anyway. That flame is burning still. In the book of Proverbs, it says that we are instruments of the divine. Our souls are God's candles. It's up to us to be the light and bring the light to a world gone dark. Shining together, we can illuminate a very dark time. And that takes practice, spiritual practice. Rabbi Rachel Blatt writes, that's what authentic spiritual life asks of us. That's what this season asks of us to bear the light and to shine in the darkness. It's up to us to do our part for the miracle. I'm thinking of the boys who were shot in Vermont at Thanksgiving time. Tashin, Kinan, and Hisham, are here in the States attending college. They grew up together in Ramallah in the West Bank. They were visiting Hisham's Uncle Rich in Burlington when they went out for an evening walk. Two blocks away, a neighbor came down his porch steps and shot them. The Price family was watching TV when the news about the shooting came on. I don't understand what's going on. Rich's eight-year-old son said. Neither do I, said Rich. The three boys were speaking a mix of English and Arabic. Two of them were wearing keffiyeh, their traditional Palestinian scarf. One of them is now paralyzed from the chest down. The shooting may and may not have been a hate crime. But what I want to lift up this morning, and here comes Hanukkah. What I want to lift up is that as a reporter was interviewing Rich Price in his kitchen, and the Price's family's UCC minister was visiting the boys in the hospital, there was a knock at the front door. It was the local rabbi who had come with food and support. A light in the darkness. Beloved spiritual companions, on Thursday night, the festival of Hanukkah began with one tiny light in the darkness. Now the light is growing, each night of Hanukkah, brighter than the night before each candle a beacon of faith. When the night seems impenetrable, that is the time to strike a match. When we feel the poorest, that is the time to make a gift. It's up to us. To do our part for the miracle. Amen. And now for the benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. When the night seems impenetrable, that is the time to strike a match. When we feel the poorest, that is the time to make a gift. It's up to us to do our part for the miracle. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.